0: in Castle Hills. It's good to be here. It's good to be back. Um, I know I've met many of you before, but my name is Andy, um, and I serve actually as one of the missionary partners that uh, this church has supported for many years now in Japan. Um, When I go and I uh, speak at churches, I have this normal uh, sermon introduction that I give at at most churches that I go and speak at, Um, and I talk about in that introduction how it's always really strange to be a missionary guest speaker at a church Um, because missionaries were often known when we come and speak for being uh, really boring, uh, really long, and then, you know, wanting to talk about missions and and reaching the nations because we're the missionary. And then at the end of the sermon, we always remember to talk about money. And I always say, I don't want to be that guy. Um, But today... I want to be that guy, actually, um, and mainly because Ronnie asked me to, and so if you don't like what I have to say today, uh, he's in the back, you can talk to him after the service is over, uh, because you're in a series right now, in a sermon series called Dangerous Prayers, and you're talking about all of these dangerous prayers that are found in the Bible that, um, that take some boldness to pray, because if you pray these kind of prayers, they might change your life. And the prayer that Ronnie gave me to talk about is the prayer, send me. The prayer, here am I, God, send me. And it's, there's a lot that I like about that prayer. Um, because most of the time when we do pray, uh, the prayers are for things that directly impact us or those who we care about. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity for this. Lord, I pray that you would help me make this decision. Lord, I pray for my kids. God, I pray for this person that I care about, that you would heal them. Most of the time when we pray, they're prayers that affect us. But when we pray, here am I, send me, We're, we're saying, God, how could you use me? For your purposes, God, here I am, I'm a blank check, do with me whatever you would want to do. And when you start praying like that, God could lead you in, in many different ways, ways that you never thought that he would. He might lead you to a new, du- new job, or to a new relationship, or he might lead you to share your faith when you never thought that you could. Uh, you know, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, God... He calls people to different things, which is just a way of saying that God moves people. He speaks to you. He prods you to do something or to say something or to go somewhere. And one person that he called in the Old Testament, it's a guy named Jonah. Uh, I talked about him last time I was here, actually. Uh, God called this man, Jonah, if you remember, to go to the city of Nineveh (coughs) and to preach to the evil people in Nineveh. And what did Jonah say? Did he say, here am I, send me? No, he said, here am I, God, but I'm not going. And he went and he tried to travel the complete opposite direction and God had to change his mind. God had to miraculously move him to the direction that God was leading him. And maybe, maybe you've had a similar experience where you thought that God was calling you to do something or to go somewhere, or to say something, and you said, I'm not going to. And sometimes God has a way of changing you, sometimes feels like miraculously, to do what He wants you to do, to go where He wants you to go. So Jonah says, God, here am I, but I'm not going. Then there was a, na- a man named Moses in the Old Testament, and Moses said, God, here am I. <coughs> But since somebody else, in Exodus chapter 3, God was calling Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, and Moses knew that's a good thing to do. He knew it was a good thing, but instead of saying, God, I'll go, he says this. Exodus um, uh, 3.11, next one, he says, who am I, God, that I should go to Pharaoh? and bring the children out of Israel of Israel out of Egypt. Moses says, God, who am I? I'm not enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough faith. So, God, here I am, but send somebody else. I'm not the right person. And it's easy for us to do that. God, I'm not the one to serve in that area. This person over there, they're more talented than I am. They have more time. God, I'm not the one to give. They have more money. And we make excuses. So Jonah, he said, here am I, God, but I'm not going. And Moses said, here am I, but God, could you send somebody else? And then there's a prophet. His name is Isaiah. He prays something very different. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I want you to notice this, what Isaiah doesn't say in response. He doesn't say, well, first God, tell me, where am I going? What's the cost? What will I get paid? How much vacation do I get? He just said, God. Next verse, or the verse continues, it says, here am I, send me. Here am I, God, send me. And what if you woke up every day and you said, God, here I am. Whatever you have for me today, God, here am I. Do with me what you want, God, here am I. Send me whatever you have available for me. God, I'm, I'm here for you. Wherever you want me to go. I'll go. If you want me to say something, I'll say it. If you want me to give something away, I'll do it. I'll use my time how you want me to use my time. I'm completely available to you. God, I am your servant. When you start praying that way, you begin to be more attentive throughout the day about how God might be leading you and how he might be moving you and prodding you. It can be a dangerously good prayer. But I want to be honest. I actually think um, here am I, send me is actually kind of a bad prayer. Like it's a dangerous prayer in a bad way. Like I don't know if you should pray this way. And here's why I say that. Um, Because it might communicate That there are Christians in the church who are the really brave ones. Uh, They're the good ones who are willing to go out. They're willing to be sent. And then there are the normal Christians. The normal church people who are okay with not being sent as though that is a viable option. Thanks Ronnie. Um, But if you're here today, if you're a Christian then you're already sent. Like there's, there is no such thing as a Christian who isn't sent. Um, I've been married to my wife, Jenny, now for uh, eight years. And so what if I, I went up to my wife, and Jenny, and said, hey, Jenny, since we're married now for eight years, I've just decided I'm, I'm now, I'm ready to really be in it. I'm ready to be serious. And so now... I'm not going to date any girls. (laughs) That's a good, that's good. There's nothing wrong with saying that, but like, I mean, I think if I said that, like Jenny would say, like has there ever been any other option? Right? To be married by definition means that I've already made the decision I'm not dating anybody else. You're the one for me. And so church, when you become a Christian, it is as though you receive a mission that you are already sent. By definition, being a Christian means that you are sent by God. There are not sent Christians and not sent Christians. All of us are sent. There's no other kind. Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And I think those words are applicable to all Christians. Uh, Many of you know the Great Commission, right? Uh, Jesus' last command on earth to his followers, what did he say? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is what the missionary is supposed to preach on, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is Jesus' mission, not just for missionaries, but for everybody who follows him. The job of making disciples of all missionaries is not just for the brave Christians who are willing to say, all right. Here am I, God, send me. It's it's for us, it's for me, it's for you. You have already been sent. Now, I'm I'm guessing most of you, if you're a Christian here today, you've heard the Great Commission before, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, Many of you probably have it memorized. But my question is not, how well do we know that verse? But what are you doing To fulfill your role in obeying this mission that you are sent on. My parents, um, they're here this morning. When I was uh, in in elementary school and in junior high, they both worked. And so um, when I had breaks or when it was like summer break, um, they would usually leave me an index card of jobs that I needed to do before they got home from work. And so I'd wake up in the morning and, uh, you know, I was in junior high, so like I slept in. They, were already, they had already left for work. I'd wake up, I'd go to the table, and there on the, the, on the dining table was an index card. And it would say something like, good morning, son. Before we come home from work today, um, I want you to make your bed, unload the dishwasher, and mow the backyard. Love, dad. Now, imagine my parents come home from work, and when they do, um, I say, hey, those things that you asked me to do, those, well, that was really important stuff. Right? When you were gone, I actually went back to that card, and I reread it every hour. Um, in fact, I, I memorized it. Uh, Dear son, good morning. Um, before we get home, I, I want you to make your bed. Unload the dishwasher and mow the backyard. Love, Dad. See, um, and did you know, Dad, there are actually kids in school who obey what their parents say? Like, that is so moving to me. Right? They would say, like, I don't care If you've memorized it, I don't care if you're moved that other people do what their parents ask. What I care about is, did you do what I asked you to do? But that's how many Christians treat the Great Commission, I think. We know it. Maybe you've memorized it. And maybe you're moved when other people live it out and they become missionaries But what are you doing? Because that's your mission too. What are you doing? What are we doing to fulfill it? And so instead of challenging you to pray, here am I, send me, this is the dangerous prayer I want you to pray. God, because you've already sent me, what's my role in making disciples of all nations? And I want to take a couple minutes just to talk about that word, Nations, real quick, just to make sure we know what it means. When we hear it, we think of countries like France or Canada, um, China. But that's not the biblical definition of a nation. In the Bible, when it says nation, it means a, a people group that have the same culture and language. And so like India is a country, but it has over 2,000 nations or people groups within the country of India. And by best estimates today, anthropologists say there are about 17,000 unique people groups or nations in the world today. And around 7,000 of them are considered Unreached people groups. In in other words, they define an unreached group as a group of people that share the same culture and language where less than 2% of the people are Christian. And so that the people in those nations, they can be born and they can live and they can die without ever really hearing and understanding the gospel. The largest unreached people group in the world is in Bangladesh. It's the Sheikh people group. Do you know what the second largest people group in the world is? It's the Japanese. Uh, in Japan, um, less than 1% of the people in Japan are Christian. It's one of the most influential countries in the world. And I can go there as a missionary. The government knows I'm there to start a church and to like convert other people. And they don't care. They're okay with me being there. And yet... It's the second largest unreached people group in the world. And that's why we are there. Because the people in Japan, they can be born and they can live and they can die. And they can never, ever in their life have somebody explain to them that there's a God who cares about them. There's a God who created them and he loves them. And that they can actually know that God through his son Jesus. We know that. There are people in Japan, and they've never even heard that before. And there's a good chance most of them will never be able to understand that. And we just said, that's not right. God cares about the people of Japan. And if we can go there, and if we can help start churches there that will proclaim the gospel and make disciples, then that's what we want to do. And so right now, so far, four churches have already been started. Uh, I pastor uh, the first one that we planted in the city of Nagoya. Uh, We've planted a church in Osaka, in Kyoto, and in Kobe, and today is the, what's the date today? 16th. In two or three Sundays from now, our fifth church in the city of Tokyo is going to start. Tokyo is the largest city in the world. It's the largest city in the world with over 30 million people in that city. And I was, just, I was in there just yesterday, two days ago, before I was coming here, on the train going through Tokyo. And I was just texting the leader of that church, just going, do you have any idea how many more churches we need to plant in this city? It's huge. It's just full of people and all of them are living without knowing the good news of Jesus. And that's why we're there, because we believe that God is worthy of the worship of the people in Japan. And he sent all of us, not just thanks, he sent all of us to make disciples, not just there, but of all nations. It includes the billion of Hindus in India and Bangladesh who are following more gods than you can even comprehend and God's worthy of their worship. He's worthy of the worship of the 350 million Buddhists who live in Japan and Thailand and Vietnam and others. He's worthy of the worship of the 3,000 tribes in Africa that are following spirits and animistic gods. And, and none of those gods are worthy of, of worship, but, but our true God is. We can't forget about the billion plus people in China and in North Korea who have grown up their whole lives in communistic and atheistic philosophies who deny that God even exists. We can't forget about the Middle East and in North Africa where there are 1.5 billion Muslims. And they're making pilgrims, pilgrimages to Mecca. They pray five times a day to a false god. And many of them don't know that the one true God, he sent his son to die for them. He's risen from the grave. And he is worthy of their worship. And so church, reaching people of all nations, that is our job. That's your job. You have been sent out already for that purpose. So don't pray, here am I, send me. Pray, God, because you have already sent me. What is my role in making disciples of all nations? I want you to think about that question. What is your role? I like how John Piper, he's a pastor, he says... He says this, he says, you have three possibilities in relations to missions. You can be a goer, or you can be a sender, or you can be disobedient. There's no other option but those three. So church, what I want to do is talk about just a few different ways that you can do your part in living out this mission that you're sent on. Um, I seriously, um, I want you to consider what it might look like for you to be a goer. One who goes actually physically, literally, to maybe one of these unreached people groups. And, and I'm not just talking about the young people here, although I am. Um, but even if you're in your career. Um, the most recent person to join our team in our city of Nagoya, um, she was a junior high teacher for I think 13 years before she decided that she could be used by God serving in an unreached country. She doesn't have a seminary degree. Her parents weren't missionaries. She never raised support before. But she was captivated and cut to the heart with the global need that there is. And so she decided to give up her career and sell her house and give up her life to helping make disciples in Japan. And so I, like, I want some of you to consider what could that look like for you or for your family? But if you're not a goer, you're still sent to make disciples of all nations. So what can you do? I want to challenge all of you um, to pray more regularly and with more specificity for those nations that are unreached with the gospel. Um, And if you want just a couple of ways to do that well, uh, go to uh, operationworld.org, I believe is the website, or joshuaproject.net. Um, these are two websites, Operation World and Joshua Project. If you have a pen, you can write that down, take a note. Two uh, websites that have a lot of great information and specific ways that you can pray for different countries around the world that are unreached. Uh, but I think both of them have like a daily email that you could receive. And each day, it's, a, it's one of those unreached nations. And you can see how many people live there, what's the religion, what's daily life in and, and, and these Uh, countries and among these nations just it can take five minutes of your day to pray for an unreached people group a day Um, pray for specifically um, the missionaries that this church supports do you know the names and the faces of of the various different projects and missionaries that you have going on as a family how could you pray together to uh inject the the ethos or the dna of your family that we care for the world because god cares for the world you know i've heard of families who who get all the missionaries that their church supports and they they just put their names in a cup and before their family prays for dinner that night each person they get to pick out a name from the cup and they pray for that missionary as they're praying for dinner Or people who have the the names or the faces of the missionaries that their church supports on their refrigerator or on their bathroom mirror. So that as they're doing their makeup in the morning, they can see a visual reminder. How can we be praying specifically and regularly for the missionaries that this church supports? I want you to consider creatively, how could you do that? How could your family do that? Pray for us specifically in Japan. Pray for uh, Mustard Seed Network and for our church in Nagoya. Um, pray for us to fully plant our church this year. And by that I mean uh, to be able to install local elders of our church and to be, uh, become financially sustainable without the need for Western support for our local church. That's that's the kind of goal that we're working to, that by the end of the year, we could say, even though I plan on being in Japan for a long time, that if something were to ever happen, the church in Nagoya would be able to be fully planted. Pray for the emotional and the spiritual, the marital and the family health for our team. Pray for young Christians in our church. Many young Christians in our church recently become Christians. They just got baptized. Nobody in their family is a Christian, and they have a lot of persecution in church. Uh, I'm sorry, from their family that don't want them to be a Christian. We have one lady right now who's coming to our church, and she would love to be baptized. And her husband is adamantly against it. And she's, she keeps coming to me, God, I, Andy, I, just, I want to be baptized, but my family will not let me. Lots of our young Japanese Christians are facing those kind of things. Would you pray for them specifically? Um, Pray for the churches that we still want to plant. We've planted four. We're about to have our fifth plant, but we want to plant more churches. Um, Pray for the funds to be able to do that. It it takes a lot of money, especially in Japan, to be able to do that. Um, But we say all the time, like, we could have $20 million in the bank to plant churches. But if we don't have leaders to go out and to plant those churches, it's kind of meaningless. So pray for leaders. Pray for more workers to go who will be those pastors and church planters. Pray for people. That's what Jesus asked us to pray for. He said, The harvest is plentiful, but what? But the workers are few. So pray. That God would send more workers. That's what he said. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Pray that they would be sent out. And so maybe what you could do real practically, if you want to know, well, what can I do? What's my role to be sent? Real practically, set an alarm to go off on your watch. 10.02, every morning. Just a little buzz. As a reminder to you, I'm going to pray. I'm going to take 15 seconds right now to pray. God, would you send more workers to the field? I don't don't believe you're calling me to go, although if you are, I'm willing. But God, right now, one thing I want to pray for God, would you raise up more workers to go to the field? 10 2, 1002, make an alarm. Really specific, trying to be as specific as possible to help you know what you could do. But I also want to challenge you to be a sender by giving. We should be praying absolutely for God to send more workers into the field, but I think a main reason why there aren't enough goers is because the senders are too few. I mean, just in our in Mustard Seed Network right now, we have a lot of recruits that are stateside right now, who are wanting to join us in Japan. They're wanting wanting to be workers and church planters, and yet they can't come. They've counted the costs. They've sold their possessions. They're ready to move their kids and their family to Japan, but they can't because they're having trouble raising the money to come. How are you using the money that God has entrusted to you to live out this mission that God's given you? A missionary colleague from Japan, he says that money, it's like blood. Money, like blood, he says, was meant to flow. Blood flows through the body and it enriches and it supports and it gives life to the body. But what happens when blood stops flowing? We die. Our hearts get clogged. And that's what happens when we see money as ours and not God's. When we sit on our money and we hoard it or we spend it selfishly instead of investing it generously, globally, for the gospel. And, you know, as I said at the beginning, sometimes missionaries, we get a bad rap for talking about money. Um, I'm sorry On behalf of missionaries, if we've ever come across sounding angry, we're not. But we're passionate people. And many missionaries are struggling and they're hurting. And many can feel embarrassed and shameful to raise support, to ask people for money. Or they feel the pressure. They feel the pressure to impress you or to inspire you or else they may be dropped from support. William Carey is a famous missionary to India, and he said, when he was raising support, he said, I will go down into the mine if you all will hold my rope. But the message of some churches and Christians to these missionaries is, go buy your own rope. But I want to brag on Castle Hills for just a minute. For the past 12 years, this church has held on to my rope, and it hasn't let go. When others have let go, you've held on even tighter. This church has supported me in our ministry with Mustard Seed more generously than just about every church I'm connected to. And most of them are much bigger than this church. And I've never felt the need to impress you or else. Ronnie and Ed, they've always been generous with giving me time before the congregation to preach. That's actually not very common. So I just want to say thank you. On behalf of Jenny and me and our family, thank you for holding on to our rope. And as many of you know, One way the church right now is continuing to do its part to reach all nations um, is when the leaders of this church started this campaign to, to bless this church and to make some needed renovations to this building, they also said, we can't be selfish. God has a heart not just for this people and not just for this city, but God has a heart for all nations. And so when they prayed about And they dreamed about a financial campaign that would be hugely needed and greatly bless this church. They also wanted it to be a huge and needed blessing for the sake of making disciples of all nations. And so they said, as we give to our church, we also want to give to help start a new church in Japan. Like I said, we're starting our next one in Tokyo in just a few weeks. There are two or three more churches that we hope to start in the next 18 months. Our goal is to plant 12 churches in the 12 largest cities in Japan by 2025. And so that takes a lot of money. And so thank you for helping us do that. The generosity of this church is what makes that possible. So thank you. So there might be mission, people in here that should consider being missionaries. I hope so. Um, But I hope the rest of you will send. Because the task of reaching the remaining unreached people in the world, the whole church has to do its part. So I just want you to ask, I want to ask, what is your role in doing that? And as I close, I just want to speak briefly to those who might be thinking, this guy's talking about reaching nations for Jesus. And I'm here like, I don't even know if this talk about Jesus is true. And if it is, like, how does that even relate to my life? Or to my marriage? Or to my school? Or to my depression? And if that's you today, I just want you to know that God loves you deeply. And the reason we spend this time focusing on reaching all nations for Christ is because we believe truly That Jesus, God's son, died for the sins of the world. He died for your sins. And his resurrection from the dead makes it possible for you to know Jesus.